This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. As we get started, let me ask you a question. If you're in the room and you're married, or maybe you were married in the past, think back to before you said I do. And think about what it was that you wanted out of your marriage. Or what did you think you were going to get out of it? What were your dreams for it? What did you think it was going to be like? Now, fast forward maybe a couple of years. Did what you wanted out of your marriage change some? Did what you think you were going to get look differently? How about 10 years? Sarah and I, this, this summer will be 15 years since we got married. It's been amazing. But I'll tell you this. It's not what we thought we were going to get. Let me show you a picture of us on our wedding day. Um, you see why I married her, though, right? I mean, dang. So anyway, yeah, okay, somebody already noticed. Uh, I'll tell you what Sarah didn't expect was a bald husband. Because I had a luxurious full head of hair, not a, not a bald, thin spot one when she said I do. She didn't think, she also, I was about 20 pounds lighter right there. Um, so what she got was not what she thought she was getting. Um, don't raise your hand if you can identify. Okay, it's not going to be helpful to anybody. Regardless of what you wanted out of it beforehand or what you thought you were going to get, you always get something different. It always looks different. Now, in the vows, we say for better or worse, but we think it's all going to be better. We think the whole worst thing, well, they just have to say that. Like, that's just one of those things. It's in the fine print. You've got to say for better or worse. We don't think there's going to be a whole lot of worse. Now, we've seen a lot of worse in other people's marriages. Shouldn't think it would happen with us. But in marriage, you get some better and some worse, but regardless, it's going to be different. Now, sometimes the different is the better. What we want when we're young is often so shallow and silly. And as we get older and wiser, we want different things. Our desires change, oftentimes for the better. But I'll tell you this. I think Scripture shows us that when we experience a difference in what we expected to get, maybe out of marriage or even a difference in what we expected to get from God, one of the determining factors is, were we living a faithful life or were we living a faithless life? It changes everything. So this morning, we're going to look at a couple. You may have heard of them. Their names were Abraham and Sarah. But when we meet them, their names are Abram and Sarah. So God shows up in Genesis chapter 12 and intersects their life and changes everything. Read with me. The Lord has said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. What an amazing promise. Here's a problem with this promise at this point. Abram is 75 years old, and his wife is just 10 years younger, a spry 65 he promises to make them a great nation, the, the father of many people. But at this point, they have no children. Now, 
I don't know. I mean, unless you're Mick Jagger, you're not having a whole lot of kids at 75. It's not a normal, am I right? It's not a normal thing. I would be skeptical, but God makes this promise. He does. But before he makes the promise, he gives them a call. He says, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. It is a call to step out in faith. What he gives them is a call. What he does not give them is a whole lot more information than that. You see, God makes them a promise that they will have many descendants. At this point, they have zero descendants. Abram's 75. Sarai is 65. And he makes this call to step out in faith and away from comfort, away from everything they have ever known. When most people would be considering retirement or long into it, he calls for them a change of career. I want you to leave everything you know, step out in comfort because you see, God leads us by faith, not by details. If you're a detail-oriented person, if you're a control freak, this drives you nuts. Okay, God, you said leave your country, your people, blah, blah, blah. Go to the land I will show you. When exactly is it that you will show me? God, if you could just give me the coordinates, give me the address so I can plug it into Google Maps. And then I'll know about how long this journey is going to be. I'll know the way. I have options of routes that I can take. But God says, no, no, just follow me. I'll let you know when you get there. Following by faith, faith-filled living never feels comfortable. I would say it's almost the opposite. When we're striving to live by faith, we never feel completely at ease. We never feel completely comfortable even in our decision-making ability. And I think that's a good thing because it requires us to lean into God. But what happens when rather than leaning into God and saying, okay, God, I really don't know where we're going. I really can't see what's next. I really need you to lead me. That's faith-filled living. That's faithful living. But the other thing happens to us often, and that's where we kind of pull away. And we don't trust, and we live a faithless life, and it changes everything. See, we're going to see as we look at their story that there were seasons where they lost faith, where they lived faithless lives instead of faithful. But we still find in the New Testament, the writer of Hebrews says this, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. He did it. He, he did follow. That's, it's kind of giving you a clue of how this story ends. But what we're going to do this morning is I want to show you a few things of what happens when we live faithless lives, when we live without faith. And we're going to see that by looking at some of the ways that Abram and Sarai blew it. See, the first thing that we see is when God comes back, he, he, he calls them out and they, they do, they step out and they go on the journey. But just a few verses later, nine verses later in Genesis 12, 11, it says this, as Abram was about to enter Egypt, this is the, really their first destination on the way, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. So say you're my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. And something happens even though they believed enough to leave and to set out on this journey, the first place they come, 
Abram looks at her and he is filled with fear of what might happen to him. And that's really, that's one of the first thing that happens when we live without faith, when we live this faithless life, is that we fall victim to fear. We fall victim to fear because fear is a powerful emotion, isn't it? Now, if I were to ask you what's the most powerful emotion, you might say it's love. Love, you know, love changes the world. You might say it's anger. But actually, a guy named Dr. Dan Short did a study. He interviewed 13 million people. Pretty thorough study. And in it, he found that fear was the most powerful emotion. And here's what he said. He said, in interviews with people who said that an emotion was controlling their actions, fear was 12 times as likely to be the motivating emotion as any other. That means in a moment where you felt like my emotions took over and I just acted, it's fear that was the primary driving force. It's powerful. We know that fear triggers more than 1,400 known physical and chemical responses in our body, activates more than 30 different hormones. It's powerful. We've all felt afraid. It is a completely natural and normal thing. The problem happens when we let it control us, when we let fear become a motivating factor in the decisions that we make. That's why the Bible says again and again and again, do not be afraid. It says, fear not. Because God knows that fear is so natural to us, but that fear lies to us because it gives us a distorted view of reality. It triggers all these chemical responses. And what the Bible's telling us when it says to fear not or to do not be afraid, it's saying we need to fear our fear because it can't be trusted. It's a terrible motivator. It causes us to make bad decisions. And when it comes to following God, it causes us to live a faithless life because we're gripped with fear. You see, when we live by fear, we forget the promises of God. It only been nine verses, right? Since God showed up and said, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you many descendants. And nine verses later, Abram was looking at the situation and says, they're going to kill me. Now I'm not a scientist. I'm not a biologist. I'm not a doctor, but I know this. It takes a living man and a living woman to make a baby. In this time. Am I right? So how's God going to make them a great nation? How's he going to give them many descendants if nine verses later, he's about to meet with a knife? It's not going to happen. He forgot. He completely forgot because fear took over. And rather than leaning into God in obedience and God, I'm so afraid of what's going to happen next, but I know what you told me. And so I just got to believe that you got this. Instead, they lie and they disobey and they let fear take over. In fear, they forgot. They talk themselves out of obeying, talk themselves out of being faithful, and we do the same thing. We talk ourselves out of being obedient to what it is that God's telling us to do because we're afraid. Maybe you recently made the commitment to say, you know what, as a family, we got to get our financial house in order. We're going to begin to tithe. They talk about it at church all the time, and they tell us to give it a try. We're going to give it a try. But then the first month comes, that first paycheck comes, and they said they even told us we should give first. And we did the budget 10% off the top. I don't know how we make that work. There's no way we're going to make it through the month, and fear kicks in, and so we don't obey. Maybe God has told you you should start a small group in your home. 
Maybe you just have a heart for people that are in the same situation like you. You're a single mother. You're a single father. You, you know, you have a heart for teenagers. You want to do something. You think, I'm going to start a group. I'm going to do it. But then fear kicks in, and you think, what if nobody shows up? Or worse, what if they show up, and they hate it and never come back, and they tell all their friends how terrible I was? What do I do then? I'm not going to do it. It's just it's too risky. And fear is driving us. And what it's doing is it's driving us away from God, away from faith, and into a faithless life. Maybe God's told your family to adopt or to become a foster family. And how, how's this going to affect our other kids? How are we going to afford to do this? Fear. It lies. It's a terrible motivator. And when we're living without faith, we fall victim to fear. And we make bad choices. You see, what Abram did in this moment was completely illogical. There's no way that God can make him the father of a great nation if he gets killed nine verses later. It's just not possible. It's completely illogical. And that's what fear does to us. It causes us to make really stupid decisions. And that's what they did in this moment. Here's the thing, though. Even in this moment, they are faithless. And you think, wow, God, are you sure you trusted the right folks with this mission? God was still faithful because he had made a promise. And he keeps his promises. Here's the second thing that happens when we live without faith. When we're living this faithless existence, we get ahead of God. We get ahead of God. Here's how this works. Uh, look at Genesis 16, 1 through 2. It says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. And it's, it's not on screen, but Abram says, Cool. Like that. Sweet. Like, let's, let's do this. Such an understanding wife, you know. She just wants what's best for me, right? I don't know. I don't know what Hagar looked like. That's not a pretty name. Now, now, if your grandmother was named Hagar, I'm sure she was a lovely woman. I'm not speaking of her, okay? So just know that. It's not a blanket statement I'm making. The problem here isn't how good-looking Hagar was or, or, or ugly. The problem here is that Sarai is getting ahead of God. She's trying to do this on her own. God had made them a promise, and now 10 years has passed, and she decides to intervene, and she gets ahead of God. When we choose to live these faithless lives, we'll get ahead of God too. We will. Here's how this works. When we get ahead of God, when we remember the promise but we doubt his timing. They, earlier, they, they seemed to completely forget the promise. And like fear took over. And it does crazy things to your mind. In this moment, she still remembers the promise. She still wants it. She still believes it's going to happen. She just doesn't understand why God hasn't done it. She actually said it. The Lord has kept me from having children. Now God has made a promise, and he is intentionally not keeping it. So I'm going to do this. She says it. It's right there. It says, I can build a family through her. The, the problem with this is, and there's so many problems with it, okay? I mean, really, this whole scenario, you know, this is just Jerry Springer waiting to happen, okay? <laughs> yes, Abram, you are the father, you know? <laughs> the problem is that she says, I can build a family. But God didn't, the promise, God said, I will do this. God said, I will make you a great nation. God said, I will give you many descendants. God made the promise. But here, she's trying to fulfill the promise. You've got to know this. If it's God's promise, it'll be in God's timing. And if it's not God's timing, 
then that's not what God promised. What you're getting there, it may, you may think it's going to solve the problem, but that is not what God promised you because you're doing it in your timing. That's you taking over. That's you getting ahead of God. So since God is delaying on delivering, we decide to take control and make it happen. We're going to manipulate things. And we'll even justify this. We'll go, well, God's given me a, he's given me a brain. He's given me a will. I'm, I'm smart and intelligent. He obviously wants me to use that. He wants me to figure this out. But that's not what God said to them. He said, I will do this. And now Sarah is saying, I can do this. Maybe you're, I mean, we can think of examples. Uh, uh, the single person who wants to be married so badly and it hasn't happened, they've been waiting. And so they decide the next decent looking guy who shows me a ring, I'm all his, right? We've all seen it happen. They don't see it happening, but we do. And it's easy to pick on them. But some of us, we're the young couple. And our parents, they've got it really well. They worked really hard. They've saved, managed their money. They've got a comfortable lifestyle. We want what they have. Just don't really love the timing it took them. So let's go make it happen. I got credit cards. I'll sign the note. I can get the car. I can get the house. I can get the boat. They're deep in debt. It's their timing. So it's obviously not God's promise. Maybe you're married to a non-believer and all you really want is for Jesus to get a hold of them and change them. And you've been waiting, you've been praying, and you know what the Bible says. It says that his heart can be changed, her heart can be changed by your godly living, your patience. But that hasn't worked. So I'm going to do something else. This marriage just isn't working, Carrie. I've given it 10 years, 15 years longer. It's just not working. We're incompatible. Our differences are irreconcilable. I'm going to do something different here. I'm going to fix this. And when we decide to get ahead of God, I'm just going to give you a little side note here. We screw it up every time. We're not good at this. We need God's leadership in our lives. We make a mess of it. And oftentimes we don't realize till afterwards and we're living these faithless lives. We're not depending on God. We're not following after him. But again, remember that even when you're faithless, he is faithful. In this moment, they remembered the promise. They just didn't like God's timing. But God was still there. God was still walking through this with them. He is faithful even when you're not. Even when I'm not. Even when I mess it up because I decide to take things into my own hands. He's still faithful. He's still there. He still has made the promise. He still intends to keep it in his timing. But here's the third thing that happens when we live a faithless life. We just don't believe that God will do it for us. We may believe that God can do it. We may believe that um, he may answer your prayers. He may do it for you. I've even seen him do it for other people. He just obviously doesn't want to do it for me. I don't know if he can't do it, doesn't want to do it. I don't know why he made me this promise if he's not going to keep it. Bitterness creeps in. Oftentimes we start to separate ourselves away from the people of God. We actually become angry at somebody else when we see God bless their life. We're miserable, and we just don't believe that he'll do it for us. But when Abram was 99 years old, God shows back up. And this time he gives the details. 20, 24 years earlier, he said, step out and follow me. No details, but now he gives the details. He says, number one, we're not, you're not going by Abram anymore. We're changing it to Abraham. Only a few letters difference, but drastic difference in meaning. Abram means noble father great name. Abraham means father of many nations. 
there's a significant difference. Sarah, we're going to call her Sarah. She's no longer just a princess. She is the mother of many. And you're going to have a son by this time next year. And here's what you're naming him. That's detailed. And you may think, oh, in this moment, they must have been so thrilled. Finally, God's coming through. But that's not how they responded. It wasn't raising their hands in praise. It says this uh, in Genesis 17, 17. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, will a son be born to a man 100 years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? This is the original rolling on the floor laughing, okay? <laughs> like he couldn't, he couldn't stand up anymore. Like this is too much, God, seriously. I mean, it... It hasn't been funny. It's actually been really painful as we've been waiting, God. But now it's just ridiculous. You're saying when I'm 100, you're finally going to do this? When she's 90? Sarah felt the same way. Genesis 18, 12. So Sarah laughed to herself. She didn't fall on the floor. She was a little more proper before God. She's, that's, that's a good one. That's a good one, God. And she thought, after I'm worn out and my master is old, Will I now have this pleasure? Will I now have this pleasure? This is something she had wanted for decades. It wasn't just something that she wanted since God made the promise. She'd already been wanting it. Every woman wanted it. Every woman wanted to bear children for their husband and specifically a son so that his name could be carried on. This is what every woman in this time would have wanted. And any woman who couldn't do it was less than looked down upon, oftentimes by their husbands, discarded. Find one who can. Will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, well, I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? And I've got to tell you this, guys, like that question, that can be the difference between living a faithless life or living a faithful life. Do you believe that there is something in your life that is too hard for God? What's that area of your life where you've stopped believing that God is able? What's that area where you've stopped believing that God wants to do that? Is anything too hard for him? Why is it that we'll trust him with our soul? But we won't trust him with our checkbook. We'll trust him with our salvation from our sin, but we don't think we can trust him with our marriage. You see, when this happens, we remember the promise, but we just stop believing it will happen for us. We lose hope. We lose heart. We just kind of give up. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's a prodigal son. And you stop believing. Maybe it's none of those things for you. Maybe most of that stuff's in order. But you've got to understand this, is that we stop believing the promises of God. It's so easy for us to do it. Even though in his word he makes it clear that if we'll give faithfully, he'll, he'll meet our needs. Even though in his word, he makes it very clear that if a husband and a wife will love each other sacrificially and submit to each other in humility, they can have a relationship that's the closest thing to heaven on earth. And that's not just rhetoric. Like, that's the image that God uses to describe his relationship with the church is that we are his bride 
and that we'll be united to him in marriage for all of eternity. That's what heaven's going to be. Why did God choose marriage? Because he knows that a marriage that looks the way he designed can be that for us. But most of us, we're not having heaven on earth. We're having hell on earth. And we've stopped believing. We've stopped believing that God can do that, that he even wants it for us. We see other relationships, and they're amazing. I wish I had what they had. But we're never going to have that. Where have you stopped believing? God promises that if we'll submit our ways to him, he'll guide us. It's not just Abraham and Sarah who God said, if you'll follow me, I'll lead you. It's all of us. He'll, he'll, are you, do you need wisdom? The book of James says, ask for it and he'll give it. That's a promise. But we don't ask for it. Gosh, I wish I had more wisdom. Have you asked God for it? That's the only place you're going to get it. We stop believing the promises. Where have you stopped believing? In this series, what we're telling you is just simply this. I think the Bible brings it back. If you put Jesus in the middle of your marriage, if you put it in the center, it changes everything. It can be everything it's supposed to be. If you put him in the middle of your finances, in the middle of your workplace, it's the life mission of this church that we believe if you put Jesus at the center of your life, your life is better. It's what it's supposed to be. Because even when we are faithless, he is faithful. And he will keep his promises. Maybe you have been living a faithless life. I mean, you had moments where you were really strong, following Jesus, doing what you're, but, but you've primarily, if you look at the decisions you've made, they've been based on fear. They've been based, based on, you don't like God's timing. You've stopped believing, but, but know this, you can finish this strong. For some of you, you've heard of Abraham, but you may not have even known any of this of his story. You may know more about him from the way the New Testament describes him, the way he finished. Romans 4, 19 says this, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet, he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. You see, even if you've been faithless up to this point, that's not how the rest of your story has to look. That's not how the rest of the story of your marriage has to look, your finance, fill in the blank, whatever area it is. If you've been faithless up to this point, God's still faithful and you can finish strong. It says he never wavered through unbelief. That means he did experience unbelief. He had those moments in Egypt. He didn't believe the promise of God. When God comes back to him at 99, he, 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 he's laughing. He doesn't, he, he, but he didn't waver because he never gave up on the fact that God had the power to do it. He always held on to hope. And so he followed God. And God showed himself faithful. The truth is, is that you got, we're never going to do this perfectly. You're not going to live in your marriage perfectly. You're not going to follow Jesus perfectly. It just reminds you how much you need him. So as we pause to pray, let me ask you this. Where have you, where have you stopped believing? Where have you stopped believing? Is anything too hard for God?
because I love that. The reason that Abraham never gave up is because he was fully persuaded, completely convinced. You couldn't talk him out of it. That God had the power to do what he had promised. And he still does. Let's pray. God, thank you for being a promise-keeping God. God, whether it's just the general promises of your word that I believe are available to all of us, you will do what you said. God, whether it's something specific that you've spoken into someone's heart in this place, you have the power to do what you said. God, give us faith. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.